What's good, y'all? My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for checking back in on this podcast. Um, If you missed the first part of my conversation with Lindsay, I would encourage you to go back and check that out. There's some really dope conversation there. Um, But here is part two. Here we go. With everything that we talked about, you know, from this uncomfortability thing to um, doing the internal work, is that commitment because we're married or is that because like you value this? Like, what is, what does that mean? What is that, Mm. what is that level of commitment to you? Mm. Like I said earlier, like I started unpacking a lot of um, my own privilege and my own racial identity in college before you and then we started dating and I think dating you made me recognize a lot of things even more so but I think you know sure like you know when we go to a Black Lives Matter rally like we did today like do I think about you when I'm walking down the street holding a sign and yelling no justice, no peace, absolutely I also think about the students that I've worked with and I also think about the fact that what I know now about our nation that I wasn't taught in school we have deeply failed marginalized people groups and I say we when I say we, I mean white America and so for me to know what I know now and do nothing about it and have no commitment to fighting for justice on your behalf, but also because I see the injustice in the world, my life is a fail if that is, if I see it and do nothing about it. I'll also, you know, I, I grew up in the church and... I was taught to love everybody growing up and no matter what their differences were. Yet I heard comments from my family, my community um, about people groups that were different. As I got older, I started processing like, okay, I was taught to love all people, but this actually didn't translate into actually loving them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I, I, I think my, I know my faith plays an integral part in like what I do in regards to diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Um, and in regards to my own work of unpacking my own internalized racism as a white woman, because I don't see a I don't see a man who came and just said, Oh, we're gonna have peace and harmony, but didn't talk back against the powers that be. I see a man who spoke to the Empire and said, you know, this is not right. And so I think so much of 
I've had to decolonize my own faith, right? Because when we're talking about whiteness, you know, I mentioned the curriculum and the media, but also Christianity Mm -hmm. has been hijacked by white people viewed as the white man's religion. You said a lot there, but I'm actually really curious with this because I think it it means a lot. Um, What does it mean for you to be not only my spouse, but my ally? Um, well, I said, I said a lot of things in relation to us being married and in relation to me being an ally. Um, but I think, you know, like I said earlier, like loving you looks like embracing black culture and therefore it looks like embracing fighting for racial justice. So I think, I mean, I can even think in the last like couple of days of hanging out with our friends, this, this month has been a month <laughs> um, for you especially. But, you know, if, uh, a handful of people have reached out to you and asked you, you know, how you're doing or just have texted you saying they're thinking about you or whatever. But I think I've learned as we've been together that when you see a black man or woman being murdered at the hands of a white supremacist and or the police, that it's like one of your family members. It's painful and I'll never know like what you you fully feel when you see that or when you experience that. And so when people ask you how you're doing or when they, you know, want to reach out to you, it's hard because you don't have to explain yourself and you don't want to have to essentially relive trauma by talking about it. Um, so I've learned to be aware of how you're feeling in those moments and one like let you know that I love you and that you matter to give you space to process but also to you know let our friends know like if we're going to hang out with them like hey please don't ask Jonathan how he's doing he's obviously not doing great but you know like it just means the world that we're we're with you and um, that you're with us in this or that you're with him in this. Um, so I think I've, I've had to pick up on um, different ways to care for you and not white-splain things, but to figure out how can I take the brunt of the exhaustion so that you don't have to experience that because you're already exhausted. So... Does that make sense? No, it, it does. It does. Um, and so I've I've literally had to have like conversations with my family or friends, like, please don't, you know, please don't ask Jonathan this or please don't say this. Yeah, because I don't I don't want you to feel even more exhausted, hurt, um than you already 
you already do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that's a, yeah, it's been a process for me to learn like how to care for you well, but I've learned that it, it's not only my, like how I respond to you, but it's also how I can be a voice on your behalf so that you don't have to feel even more exhausted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's loving you as your your spouse, but it's also being your ally. And I think too, it's it's not that I don't like I'm passionate about this, so it's not like I don't want to talk about it. But I think I think you fielding those initial questions for me is is a lifesaver because like to be asked how I'm doing every single time a black person is murdered by the police. Like it just like it, it's, it's like, not helpful. it's not helpful. It's not helpful. I don't want you to ask me how I'm doing. I want to know what you've done to like, stop this. Absolutely. Like I, and we talked about this last night. Like, I'm sorry. Just doesn't like, it doesn't seem right to say to me, Right. like I'm the one that is still alive. So I'm not the one you should say sorry to. Like these instances shouldn't actually happen, so like I like they seem ho- like it feels hollow. I I get, it comes from a good place, but like it just doesn't make any sense. Like even when somebody says like at a funeral, like I'm sorry for your loss, like it just is a weird. It's a weird thing to say to me. I think like in the example of like a funeral, like I am here for you. Like, I'm here with mm-hmm. you. Whatever you need, I got you. Yeah. And, like, being there and present and lifting up that burden. I don't want to hear I'm sorry. I don't want to hear that I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. In cases of, like, police brutality, white supremacy, these wrongful killings by the hands of police, is I want to see actual action. Like, yeah. what are you going to do what are next steps are you going to take to ensure that this doesn't happen to me? My brother's been pulled over 10 times in less than a year of living in Orange County. 10 times. To me, those are like punch cards and he is running out. Yeah. He was surrounded by cops um, at a university like three months ago. Yeah. And his car broke down. And all he needed was help. You know, like to me, like... Make it so that my brother is not the next hashtag. How about you do that? Like, how about that be the next step? Don't tell me you're sorry. Because if I swear to God, if I see my brother, either one of my brothers, as a hashtag, I will blame you. And you can take that sorry and shove it right up your ass. Because I don't have my brother anymore. just tired so I appreciate you with your efforts with that I do and I know like I don't know I I mean well honestly like how does that feel like what is that what is that like for you to like tell our friends that or tell my yeah like how do those conversations go i'm actually curious because i have not been privy to any of these (laughs) (laughs) because i don't tell you (laughs) 
Well, my, my mom flat out asked the other day, like, how... I know asking Jonathan how he's doing is not helpful. Um, so, like, what else can I... Like, what can I say? Um, my sister asked, you know, she has... She's on the track team at her school, and um, she... There's a few black people on the track team, and... She's like, Lindsay, I don't, I, I want, I want to let them know that I'm like with them in this, but I don't really know how, how to word that or what to say. Um, so those were like, those were easy because they just straight up asked me. With our friends the other night though, I sent them a voice text and I said, um, hey, just a heads up, like we're really excited to hang out with, with y'all tonight, but um, if you could just refrain from asking Jonathan how he's doing because obviously he's not doing great this week has been a shit show and it's been so hard um so please please don't ask I know you all care about us um and I'm sure this will come up in conversation but obviously he's not doing good mm. Um, so I think there's been times where people have asked me, but then I've, I've just had to volunteer <laughs> my, uh, or, or not volunteer, assert myself and be like, Hey, please don't do this to my husband. He's already hurting. So he doesn't need you to add to that. Mm. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I also will say, like, you know, we, you, you talked about earlier how this this was our first protest that we went to. Um, not the last. And Not the last. And um, this, this one hit harder. Um, and I think for me, um, in my own process, in my own awareness of my whiteness um it's challenged me to like what more can I do um yes I'm married to you and I do the work most every day to some capacity um in our relationship but also in my job um and by the way everyone should do the work every day with everyone they meet um, I think it's challenged me to really, really ask, like, what more can I do? Like, what else can I do? How else can I educate myself? How else can I advocate? How else can I be a part of this so that it doesn't happen to you or your brothers or your mom or some of my students? And I think that feels, um, that feels hard because... I can do the work for myself and I, I can do X, Y, and Z, but if white America doesn't get on board, then this is going to keep happening. If white America doesn't understand the racist systems that have been put in place since Christopher Columbus came over here and colonized the hell out of this nation and um, ravaged and pillaged the Native Americans, 
you know, if, if we if we as a nation, Brene Brown says this, if we as a nation cannot own our own story, then we're going to keep repeating it and causing more injustice. White America needs to own our story. That looks like in everyday conversations, in everyday interactions. Um, and you know, figuring out how to advocate for others. Earlier you mentioned having conversations with your mom and your family. Recently, what have those questions been like? Because I feel like all of a sudden everybody is like woke now. Well, I think, you know, I, I think it, it hits home for them. It has... They have been aware. I'll never forget my dad sitting down with you, or no, sitting down with me. And he said to me, um, you know, every time I see a police car, I think about Jonathan and I worry about him. That was, um, that was powerful for my dad to say that to me. And the fact that he was able to connect that so I think my family has been aware to some degree mm -hmm. um, right like proximity changes things um, and if things become personal to you you start to care about them um, so I think that's what happened with my family um, when we first started dating but recently um, my mom has been asking a lot of, not asking me a lot of questions, but more so like she's been doing the work of educating herself. I mean, my whole family has, but my mom is also very passionate like me. Um, and so when, when she comes across something that just like really like piques her interest, she's like all in. And so currently that's what she's doing. She's she ordered like 10 books off of Amazon about race. I'm just blown away that she did that. Um, she um, started talking to this one woman at her church to be a, um, a co-leader in this uh, group called Be the Bridge. By the way, listeners, check it out. It's by Latasha Morrison. Um, anyway, so she's just like, she's, she's such a learner. And I think she, you know, she feels like, why didn't I learn this growing up? Like, very similar to how I experienced it when I first started learning. Um, but, like, we need to, you know, do this work. And, yeah, so I feel like the conversations have been, you know, my mom says to me all these things. And then she's like, I know you know all this. And I was like... No, you know, I don't know I don't know everything, Mom. Like I I don't I haven't arrived. <laughs> but sure, do I know more than you? Probably. But um yeah, it's I think it's been you know, I I, I feel like I have mixed feelings because it's like, okay, you're you're empty nesters, my parents are empty nesters, and you know, they're just really like starting to dive into 
these conversations and unlearning the things that they have learned. And so that's frustrating, but also we live in a world that is catered to them as white people. So of course their process would be later. Mm -hmm. um, so it's frustrating in that sense, but it's also like, I'm so proud of the work that you're putting in and doing this. And that goes for my, my whole family. I'm, I'm like proud that they're committed to this mm -hmm. and committed to learning. And yeah, so it's it's been like, I don't know if I can use the word fun because. <laughs> it's been an adventure. <laughs> it's been an I'll adventure say having <laughs> these conversations with my family and hearing their processes. And um, yeah, so I've, I've really enjoyed that. And. I've also really enjoyed like other white friends reaching out to me and asking for different resources. So that's been that's been cool. But it's also like where where were y'all? And that's how I feel as a white woman. So I mean I just feel like I've just been saying I told you so like all week. Internally <sighs> Yeah. As I've seen people post yeah. who never said Black Lives Matter before. Absolutely. But anyways, yeah. And I think with that, you said it earlier this week, but a lot of white Christians from the church that are now posting about these things or talking about them. And I, again, I don't know why this is different, but I just am like, where have you all been? Where have you been? So it's just... Yeah, it feels like, it feels like, and I told you so, moment. <laughs> yeah. Granted, we don't go to church anymore. Personally, I don't know if I will ever go back to church on a Sunday morning. And I am completely okay with that. I think for me, being in church, being a leader, being a pastor for as long as I was, and also a worship leader, like seeing the work, the inner workings of how that stuff works and like how much there was no sense of urgency and I'm talking about not just the previous church that we were at. I'm talking about all churches that I've been at as far as like a white, like predominant white churches. There's no sense of urgency or care for those things. Persons of color left alone, isolated, feeling like they're going crazy to some extent because they're like, what the heck's going on? Or you feel like people like fully assimilate so that they can like fit in. It's a survival mechanism. Yeah. I'm not knocking them at all. Black churches or multi or multi um, racial churches that I have attended or was a part of prior to coming out to Orange County, already in the institution of the church. Like that is in the institution of black church. Like it is political. Like being black is political. Like it's you can't separate the two. Right. And so like those were already like social justice is in my blood ingrained within me. And so it was weird to come out to Orange County, go to school and do all these things. And they talk about churches, separation of church and state, be apolitical, all these different things. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Why? Like, I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah. I need to step in here because I need to kind of unpack some of the things that I discussed here. So it is natural for me to talk about faith and politics because being black is being political. Regardless of who serves in political power, policies and legislation, 
often adversely impact communities of color and lower income families. Typically, the epicenter for communities of color has always been the church. This is where community organizing starts and ends. That's also why you see political candidates trying to win over the black vote by attending black church. Evangelical spaces ironically openly discuss abortion and gay marriage, both of which are highly political, while at the same time deeming other issues such as immigration, police brutality, redlining, gerrymandering, too political to discuss from the pulpit. This, this right here is privilege. To be able to pick and choose what is too political, i.e. important, because these issues don't impact you or your community. All right, y'all, let's get back into it. I said the the church will have to pay for this. Like, I don't know what I believe about this, but I will say this. Based off of the general belief of evangelical Christians, when they face God, they will have to answer this. Like, they were completely silent, and your silence was complicit, was complicit in the execution and murder of thousands and millions of people. They will have to answer to harboring and enabling white supremacy in America and across the globe. And it is infuriating to see people post about it now after some of the people we've talked to, it, it's been years. And I will say this, this is a loving rebuke. Absolutely. I am not going to pat somebody on the back for doing something you are already supposed to do. Yeah. What I will expect you to do, again, and also don't want to hear sorry, what I want you to do is to do the work. Yeah. What I want you to do is make calls. What I want you to do is vote and be on top of the people that you vote. Don't just vote along party lines. Don't just vote because there's the abortion issue and LGBTQ issue because both of those come on. There's nuance in all of those anyways. What I will say is that you really, really need to pay attention. Pay attention more so than you ever have in your entire life. Yeah. Because this is not a joke. And people will continue to die. Innocent people will continue to die by the hands of police. And let me just say this. Because people like have been tossing around like black lives, uh, black on black crime, black on black crime, black on black crime. Blah, 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 blah. They were, they, somebody said yesterday, or the day before, 30 people were died in Chicago yesterday, and nobody says anything. The difference is, and I'm not going to minimize the death of people, especially black people in America. Black on black crime is an issue. White on white crime is an issue. Brown on brown crime is an issue. Those are big issues. What I will say is that when you have a state or a, um, a city, county, state, or national government entity that swears an oath to protect citizens and kills them unarmed, not doing anything at a disproportionate rate to anybody else, that is an issue. Yes. That needs to be addressed. That is a problem. That's a big deal. And I will also say, I have seen a lot of white Christians come out and say, this is about, um, this issue of police brutality is about seeing the image of God in people, to quote them. But they'll say it's not a political issue. 
It's about seeing the image of God in people. And I just would like to speak to that because it is both an image of God issue and it is a political issue. Because police are authorities. Our vote affects the policies that are put in place that then affect the people. So if you want to say that this is not a political issue, you're wrong. That's just, that's just it. I don't think you need to add anything. <laughs> I mean, I already said it. Being black is political. Yes. You know. Absolutely. So I will only clarify this thing. This is not bashing. This, again, is a loving rebuke. At this point, I would say this to any of their faces because, like, these are words that they, anybody needs to hear. I say this to you. <laughs> As a black person, I'm not going to speak for the entire black community. Like, it's disappointing. Like, it's disappointing. The lack of effort. And there's a lot of catching up that they have to do. Again, I probably will never step foot in the church again. Let me rephrase that. A white evangelical church, I will probably never step foot in again. I'll always go home. But I think, I, I hope, and I think being at that protest today, like, really made me hopeful for if we ever have kids. Mm -hmm. For our friends' kids. But... I would hope that the church would start to have these conversations and actually put to action what they are now coming to realize all of a sudden. <laughs> but I hope it's not just in the church. I hope it doesn't just stay in the church. I hope the systems in the church change and I hope the conversations change and the way people are treated change. But I also hope that this affects the way that people vote. Because this is not, this is not apolitical. This is a political issue. And whoever you vote for, there are systems, there are policies, there are things put in place that affect people. And that goes for not only Black Lives Matter, it goes for the immigrant community, mm -hmm. it goes for families who have been separated at the border, mm -hmm. it goes for victims of sexual assault, mm -hmm. it goes for standing up against homophobia and transphobia mm -hmm. what else can i say there's so many there's so many, there's things. So many things but yeah. i really do hope white evangelical christians start to understand that they cannot be silent one on issues of racism but two complicit with the government as it is right now all right well last thing future stuff kids where are we living what do you see um i'll start with where we're living <laughs> <laughs> future um one because it's more diverse and two because we need to get the 
hell out of Orange County. Three, Long Beach is dope as hell. Yes, Long Beach is really cool. One of our favorite cities. Um, so there's that. Um, as far as, like, careers go, <laughs> um, I feel like I can see both of us, like, moving up in the fields that we work in, um, but also I can see with your creativity, you, like, starting something. Obviously, this podcast is something that you started, <laughs> so maybe this takes off. Yo, shout out Real Talk with Duma. <laughs> yeah, so I, I feel like I can see you doing more, like, creative creative things. Um, obviously, we're both very passionate about these conversations and this work, um, so I could potentially see us doing something with that. I don't know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And um, the first thing you mentioned was kids. <laughs> well, as you can tell, you see who wants to have kids and who does not. <laughs> what? You want to have kids? Not right, no, not right now. In the future. Don't worry, we've talked about this. We have to. T- <laughs> <laughs> uh, as of now, neither of us want kids. Lindsay, you are talking for yourself right now. You're not talking about me. I asked you a question. So you're not like telling. You're not telling, basically the people like we don't want kids right now. In this right moment, I do want kids. Those little kids we saw at the protest. Oh my God, stop. They were so cute. I stop. Couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So cute. That's gonna be us. That could be us. okay you can finish your thought you can finish your thought i don't want kids right now um i just finished my master's degree and jonathan and i have either one of us has been in school for sorry i'm I'm talking to the people now it's all right go ahead you could you could talk to him it's fine at this point it's late y'all we're recording this late go ahead and talk one of us has been in school for um the time the whole time we've been together so, I am thankful to have this time and to not have kids and to just be married and not be in school. Mm-hmm. So, as of now, I do not want children in the next year or two or three. Um, but in all seriousness, we, we say, we have said that we don't want kids, but I, I, I don't think that's true it's obviously not fully true <laughs> just said that here's here's the thing though with that you have definitely changed your tune on that because before you're like i want to make sure that we have kids before i'm 30 the two-year three-year thing is fine i think we just need some time to just be yes without grad school have some a little bit of freedom as soon as covid blows over well, yeah, we, we just need to go on a, a fun vacation before we have children. Well, a few. A few fun vacations. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> good. All right, so I guess that's what our future holds. No kids. 
Vacations. Ding. <laughs> Double <laughs> income, no kids. But that's what that's what it is. Great. Awesome. Okay. Love you too. Thank you, Donna. I know I said this, but talks like this are not easy. You know, discussing the intricacies of diversity, equity, and inclusion can already be uncomfortable and overwhelming, um, even for folks who are well-versed in the conversation. But navigating all of that with your partner, you know, someone you sleep next to each night, someone that you can't just say deuces for a week or two, um, is a whole nother level. There's plenty of miscommunication, not understanding, missing each other but we're committed to like learning from one another and figuring it out together. And I don't think it's really impossible to ever fully arrive or like fully understand and know um, each other. And that's regardless of any topic. Um, and that's okay. We were two completely different people before we were together and that's still true today. Um, the difference is before and now is that we're committed to doing this thing together. We're in this together. And overall it's a journey like any other relationship uh, it just takes time, effort, patience, kindness, all of that. But with this one, it's just a little different. It just has a few other layers to it. This podcast was produced by myself, Jonathan Dumas, with music by the oh-so-talented Mr. Tony Deras. And if you like what you heard, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. would love to hear from you. And if you haven't already, you can go ahead and follow me on Instagram. Reach out to me on Instagram. would love, love, love to hear from you. It's RTWD Podcast. That's RTWD Podcast on Instagram. Till next time, y'all. Peace.